the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Friday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And you are listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions or life questions, pretty much whatever is on your heart, of course, with our focus being on what the Bible has to say about whatever your problem might be. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local area in San Antonio, you can call 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You also can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app, and your questions will be communicated right away. Uh, If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now button at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, 340-9585 is our main number. Well, I love Friday programs because weekends are always special. Weekends are the time when we who are pastors, we are getting really, really busy. We have church tonight here at 7 o'clock. Here at Calvary Chapel, um, Dr. I should say Pastor Dr. Peter Paley is going to be teaching tonight. Uh, And then on Sunday, I'm going to be in uh, actually finishing the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Luke, uh, our three services on Sunday morning. Wherever it is that you go to church, go and offer your service to God. And by that I mean... Be available to somebody who needs to be comforted. Put your arms around somebody. Hug them. Pray for them. Pray with them. Talk to them. Ask them if there's any way that you can help. It's a whole wonderful work that's done every Sunday in churches. Just be sure that God gets to use you to do that work. Well, we'd love your live calls. 340-9585. But we've had a bunch of good questions sent in as well. I want to begin with the question that we ended with yesterday because I only got to the first part of it in the last minute or two of the program. It was a question from Iris. She wanted to know, was Deborah, being Deborah the judge, married to Barak? Uh, And my answer was no. Her husband's name was Lapidoth. Barak was sort of her general. And then the rest of the question was, why was a woman chosen to lead? And does that mean it is okay for women to be pastors? Um... Iris, it it certainly doesn't mean it's okay for women to be pastors. We have very specific teaching on that in our New Testament. So we don't have to look for pictures and, and answer these Old Testament questions. The fact that Deborah was the judge, well, it was during a time when men did what seemed right to them. It was a time when men didn't stand up. In fact, with Barak, he, he wouldn't go to battle unless Deborah went with him. And she basically said, well, you missed a chance. God was going to use you, but now a woman is going to get the credit. She didn't mean her, but she meant um, uh, the woman who would drive the, the peg through Sisera's head. So the whole idea here is that 
the time of the judges was the worst time in Israel's history. They did everything wrong. And yet God in his mercy, because he loved Israel, and because he had a great plan for his people, um, he was faithful even when they were faithless. Why would God use a woman? Well, because she was usable and the men weren't. And Deborah, make no mistake, she's a heroine in our Old Testament stories. But she would never be qualified to be a pastor, nor would anybody be able to rightly claim her as the reason for wanting to be a pastor in a church or or giving justification to do so. So, Iris, I'm sorry I didn't get to that whole question yesterday, but I hope that answers your question. Here is a question that came in today from our mobile app from Lisa. Uh, A friend and I have a question, what does it really mean to be in Christ? I've heard that phrase before in church, but I don't understand it. And then she says, thank you, Lisa. To be in Christ means to be with him, to walking with him walking in the Spirit. Jesus said, if you abide in me, or another translation says, remain in me, I will remain in you. And so to be in Christ is a phrase that has come to mean being in fellowship with him, being right with him, walking with him uh, in, in, in truth, and walking with him in love, and walking with him um, by the power of the Spirit. So that's all it means, to be in Christ means that we're walking with him, for him, and our lives are committed to him. So that's all it means. And and that's why Paul says we should examine our hearts daily to see whether or not we are in the faith. It's the same connotation there, to see whether our faith is genuine, to see whether our hearts are right with God. And that's all it means. It is a very important concept. It's something that we really need to focus on every day. Let's go to San Marcos, Texas now and talk with Roland on line one. Roland, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yes, sir, Pastor Ron. Uh, Is it okay to request prayer over the radio? Sure it is. Okay. I have a kidney transplant, and it's it's affecting a little bit. Uh, I don't urinate as much as I used to. And... uh, I called my doctor, and uh, tomorrow morning I'm supposed to go and uh, have some blood drawn, and he's going to run some tests, see what, you know, what's, if he can change uh, my medication on it. I don't want to go back to dialysis for sure. Mm-hmm. And I just, I've been praying all day to my almighty father, and uh, I listen to you. It's been two years I've been listening to you, so I appreciate what you say every day. I appreciate you, and... I listen to you, and I just want—I need some prayer right now. Thank you, Roland. I'll pray now, and and uh, you can count on our faithful listeners to hold you up in prayer as well. Can I make one thing to get one thing clear? Are you going to have a kidney transplant, or did you already have a kidney transplant? I already had it, sir. Uh, five okay. years okay. ago, and is acting up okay. a little bit. Yep, that makes sense. Thank you, Roland. Father, we lift Roland to you, and we, we thank you for a platform like this where, where not only can we pray, but, but, but tens of thousands of other people who are listening can pray. We ask, God, that you would touch and heal Roland's kidney. He certainly doesn't want to have to go through another transplant, nor does he want to, to, to be in dialysis. Lord, we ask you to give his body strength. Let it function well so that he can serve you with all of the strength you give him. May every thought from his heart be glorifying you, God. And we know that you will be with him. We pray that all will be well. We pray for a healing, Lord, according to thy will. And we simply ask that you wrap Roland in your arms and give him hope. Bless him, Lord. We ask this in your wonderful and beautiful name. Amen. Roland, keep us posted, please. I sure will. Amen. Thank you so much, and God bless you and your flock. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585. Here is a question from our email inbox from Chris. Uh, And he or she says, how can we be sure that the Bible is accurate? I know the position of Christians is that the Bible is 100% accurate, but how can we be sure that man or the different councils didn't make a mistake? Uh, I'm going to recommend something for you, Chris, to read, but then I'm going to answer your question a little bit more directly. Uh, Josh McDowell has written an excellent 
um, um, overview of the Bible, how we got it, uh, the, 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 the interaction of the councils that affirm the positions of Scripture. Um, um, it's in the new evidence that demands a verdict. It's a, a good apologetic that I think most Christians should have in their library anyway. Uh, but there is a section on the canon of Scripture that's really, really important. Uh, if it is a little too big for you, it's very scholarly, uh, then there is uh, another book um, um, Lee Strobel wrote called The Case for the Bible. Uh, there's another two little um, um, paperback books by a man named Paul Little, L-Y-T-T-L-E. Um, know what you believe and know why you believe. And, and in that book, he also deals with how we got our Bible and how we can know for sure. Now, more specifically, uh, Chris, this is one of those things that you've got to find out for yourselves. You know, when you talk to a Mormon and you'll say, well, do you believe in the Bible? And they say, well, yes, insofar as it's been correctly translated. But from the very beginning, the, the lie of the devil has always been, did God really say? Now, two things. One, if God didn't tell us, if he didn't leave us his word, if he didn't give us a way to know the heart of God, the character of God, the mind of God, then our God ceases to be a loving God. He's a cruel God. And not only did he give us that, but he protected it throughout centuries. The Bible has always been under attack from the very beginning. As soon as the New Testament canon came out, people were trying to to shred it, to to devour it. So, Chris, I'm going to challenge you to study, to find out for yourself. This was the one question, and Chris, I've said this on this program many times before, so if, if I'm repeating to some of you, I apologize, but it's important. The thing that I had to decide for myself as a brand new Christian, I'm very logical and very practical. I had a lot of Christians. My whole life had changed. I, I'd become a believer. But how did I know what to do next? And people would always say, well, read the Bible, read the Bible. I would have all these questions, and I would ask Christians that I, I thought knew more than I did. Well, well, what about this or what about that? They would always say the Bible says. Well, it clicked immediately to me that I had to find out if the Bible was really the Word of God or if it was just a book written by men. So here's what you've got to do. You've got to find out. For me, I started a process, and it only took about two and a half months. Um, and I was 100% convinced, Chris, 100% convinced that I had in my hands the living, breathing Word of God, the, the unchanging Word of God. And from that moment, I've never had a moment's doubt about my salvation, no no security issues with, with who I am in Christ. Um, I, I've never considered that there was another source that was more authoritative. These are really important things that you've got to find out. And while I can tell you it's 100%, Accurate. I can tell you that it is inerrant. It is, it is without error. You've got to decide that for yourself. If somebody can come along and say, well, you know the Bible's been translated. And that is a common, simplistic, ignorant view that many unbelievers, well, you know the Bible's just a book. It's got a lot of contradictions. Find one. There's none. And Chris, this is one of those things that you've got to find out for yourself because until you do... You're always going to have the devil in your ear saying something like, well, did God really say? So you've got to find that out for yourself. And then once you know for sure, hold on to it and don't let it go. Those nearly three months, now more than 27 years ago, changed my entire life. And the reason I see people falling away is because they don't become personally convinced. There's not that conviction of the Spirit. Now, you've got to do the work. But there's not that conviction that this is true. It was always true. It will always be true. And right then and there is when you've got to make a choice. And once you make it, don't ever look back. So, Chris, I hope that helps. Let's go to Seguin now and talk with Bruce on line one. Bruce, good to hear from you again. Thanks for calling. Uh, you're welcome, Pastor Ron. Good visiting with you. I have a. I want your response. My middle daughter has left the Lord, and she's an alcoholic, and she has gone to double A. Uh, Jesus can do more than double A ever dreamed of, but what are your thoughts on double A? 
The only thing I know is a 12-step program. And after you answer that question, I have another question for you, if, if we have the time. Oh, okay. Why don't you give me the other question now, and I'll get them both, Bruce. Okay. The other question is explain the scripture that the letter of the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. Uh, okay. In my mind, that is part of the conversion process, the process of repentance and asking Jesus into your heart and making him Lord of your heart. Am I missing the boat? Nope, don't think so, Bruce. I'll get that. Let me let me start with the A question first, simply because um, I, it's a question that we get a lot. I have a lot of experience, of course, with people from AA, and people will come in, especially with the, the people that make their way to the church, and say, well, I, I found Jesus. He's my high power. Well, that's fine, and God is merciful, and he meets us all where we are if we will open our hearts. But there's a whole bunch of problems with AA. First and foremost, and I don't mean to sound too simplistic, it's 11 steps too many. Um, oh, Jesus, okay. the, Jesus says the, the old is gone, the new has come. Um, and if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. So if we really have the faith to believe that, then we don't have to deal with the, 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 the antithetical issues um, between AA and what our Bible teaches about Christianity. You know, AA will teach you once an addict, always an addict. You've got to keep going to the meetings. You've got to keep dredging up the pain of the past. And that's completely antithetical to what the scriptures say. Um, uh, we're, we're not an addict once we've been delivered by the power of Christ. Now, it doesn't mean that we won't have difficulties getting rid of things, but the old is vanquished. There's victory in our lives, and what we've got to do is surrender to Jesus Christ. Now, additionally, Bruce, we've got uh, problems with the whole concept of AA, that there's some higher power. Uh, we know there's no higher power except Jesus Christ. And AA will not tell you that. They want more people into the program. And, and, and preaching Jesus, of course, would run some people away because people don't want Jesus to teach them, to tell them how to live their lives. Um, uh, so to, to be a part of a process that says, well, you know, you just have to acknowledge a higher power, um, go to the meetings. In fact, uh, practically speaking, Bruce, the, the meetings become the higher power. Um, and, and yet we know that there's only the transforming power of Jesus Christ. So I'm not a fan of AA. I do realize that some people uh, found uh, faith in Jesus Christ uh, uh, while going to AA, and for that I'm grateful. But a few conversions does not validate the, the, the ministry itself. Um, the fact that somebody found Jesus, well, then, then it's a good thing. No, it's not a good thing because it's, it's teaching that is inconsistent with the, the Bible that we have. So I hope that helps, Bruce. The second part of your question, uh, the letter kills and the Spirit gives life, is just a New Testament way of saying that the purpose of the letter was to point out that we're dead people walking around. Uh, the letter of the law. We can we can do the best that we can to keep the letter of the law, um, but 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 ultimately, if we view the law correctly, um, we find out that we're helpless against it. The, the law points to us and says, "Guilty, guilty, guilty, condemned, condemned, condemned." When you come to Jesus by the power of the Spirit of God, when you go through that new birth process. Um, what happens is that you become a completely new person and you enter into the transformed life of Jesus Christ. And that's the abundant life that Jesus promised. He told the woman at the well in Samaria that if you drink of the water that I give unto you, you will never again thirst. And she said, sir, give me this water. Well, that's life by the Spirit and life in the Spirit. So, Bruce, thank you for the questions. I hope that answers your questions. Three four zero ninety. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Thank you, Pastor Ron. You're welcome. Thanks, Bruce. Let's go to Bolverde, Texas, and talk with Greg on line two. Greg, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Pastor Ron, can you kind of help me out with what is your understanding of Proverbs? Not really the whole chapter 23, but particularly from verse 29 through 35. Proverbs chapter 29. Proverbs 23. Oh, I'm sorry. 23. Chapter 23, verse 29 through 35. 
I can do that. Thank you. Um, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshed eyes? Those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind imagine confusing things. You will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? Um, you know, Proverbs, Greg, is, is uh, it's poetic in form, uh, but it's very simple and practical wisdom to live by. This is King Solomon writing with the wisdom that God gave him, a wisdom that exceeded the wisdom that any man has ever had before or since. And so when, when, when Solomon is at his best and he's writing these things by the Spirit of God, these are things that are really, really important for us to understand. They have, they, they have great practical value. Now, this is very simply a condemnation of drinking. Now, remember, this isn't New Testament Solomon is looking around, he's viewing the people in his kingdom, he's out among the people, and he's watching uh, the damage that is done by alcohol, even in his day and age. So he's identifying um, those who are in trouble or those who are drinking. He's, He's not saying that's the only reason they're in trouble, but that's certainly a commonality between those who drink. And the rest of it is just a description of the, the, the appeal of wine and the, the, the tempting measure of wine. Um, it looks good. It goes down smoothly. But at the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. That's simply saying, you know, you can drink it and get high, but it's going to come back and destroy you. And the, the last three verses, your eyes will see strange sights, your mind imagine confusing things. I cannot tell you, Greg, over the years, how many times in my office I've had the same conversation with people who simply refuse to quit drinking. And as their life falls down around them, they're unable to comprehend the damage that they're causing to others, the damage they're doing to themselves. So this is really, really a very strong uh, condemnation of those who have problems with wine. Now, in the New Testament, we know that, that and in the culture, uh, not only in Solomon's time, but in the time of Jesus, uh, wine was a staple of of diets. Water wasn't pure like it's pure now. Uh, there were, 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 were many places where the water would cause sickness. Paul will say to Timothy, you've got frequent stomach problems, so drink a little wine to soothe your stomach and don't, don't rely just on water. We also know that because wine accompanied virtually every meal in, in those cultures, um, that there's nothing wrong with wine in moderation. The problem is, is when we linger over it, when we, I'm going to use Solomon's words in verse 30, when we go to sample bowls of mixed wine, and others we want to check things out. If you've ever seen on television, they, they will sometimes have these, these um, uh, places you can go to where all these bartenders get together and they mix their drinks and you can sample them all. Well, the problem if you do that is you're going to get drunk and that puts you in a place where you're going to be in sin. And the end of drinking is always pain. The end of drinking is always pain. And when I say that, I make people angry. Um, But uh, that simply, to me, proves uh, the veracity of my statement. Um, All they want is another drink. Well, I just have to calm down. I need to relax at night. So a drink makes me calm. So what's the problem with that? Well, the problem is if you need it to relax, then you're being controlled by it. And it's just a bad thing. So this this proverb is a very harsh condemnation of drinking uh, and the effects of, of the drinking. So, Greg, thanks very much for the question. I hope that helps. Here is a question from our email inbox anonymously. I'm struggling with smoking. I'm a new Christian and want to stop, but find it difficult to do. Is it a sin when I do smoke? And when I do, does that fall under the category of living that lifestyle? Um, Anonymous, smoking is not a sin. 
um, again, the, the addictive properties, the physically addictive properties of, of nicotine are well documented, um, but, but I think less so are the, the psychological and emotional properties of addiction. So I understand what you're going through, and I've got people in our church who struggle with the same thing. Now, here's the thing that you have to decide. If you want to serve the Lord and not smoking would enable you to do so to a greater degree, then this is one of those things that you have to give to Jesus. If God is convicting you, if the Holy Spirit is convicting you about smoking, well, then it becomes sin. Romans fourteen twenty three says, anything not of faith is sin. Uh, but, but give yourself your break. If you're a new Christian, um, just lay this down at the feet of Jesus. Say, Jesus, please help me. I want to be able to witness to you about you. I want to be able to share with others. Uh, I want to be used for your glory. And I just think, Lord, I could do it better if I wasn't addicted to these cigarettes. So um, let him know. Let him know. And he'll help you with it. I'm not done with this one. I'm going to come back on the other side of the break with this one. Um, I think I've got something can help. We have 30 minutes left in the week. 340-9585 is your number for live calls. You're listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. We'll be back in two minutes on the other side of the break. We'll see you then. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our friday show 340-9585 i want to get back to the question uh, just before the break that anonymous sin in uh, i'm struggling with smoking i'm a new christian want to stop but find it difficult to do is it a sin when i smoke and when i do does it fall under the category of living that lifestyle um I, anonymous with all my heart i believe that this desire to please god by by giving up the smoking is his way of saying, look, I'll, I'll do this for you if you give me the chance. Now, here's my own experience. I've never smoked a cigarette, so that's not my problem. But when I got saved, I was really obese. I mean, fat, fat, fat. And uh, I, I'd been very successful in business. And, and boy, the more successful I got, the fatter I got. Uh, and when I got saved... One day, in, in, in just sort of bragging to the Lord, I was so excited about my new life in Christ. And, and I, I remember saying, Lord, I'll do anything for you. Use me. I just want to be used for your glory. And the first thing I ever heard the Lord speak so clearly to my heart was this. He said, get your body in shape. And I was humiliated and embarrassed, anonymous, because I knew I couldn't do that. You know, I thought that I had to do it. On my own, in my own strength. Okay, Jesus, I'll do this for you. It said he wanted to do it in me and for me. And I remember crying, embarrassed. Lord, I told you I'd do anything. The first thing you asked me, I, I, I can't do it. I've tried every diet. I've tried exercise programs. I've tried everything. And then I said this, if you want me to do this, you have to do it because I can't. And it didn't happen like this, but it was as though... I could hear my Jesus take a big sigh of relief. Sort of like he's going, finally, you're going to give up and let me do something. And uh, I lost an enormous amount of weight in about six months. Uh, changes occurred instantly. And, and you know what? What I couldn't do before my own strength, he did for me. Um, I, I didn't make a vow. I didn't stop eating. Uh, he just did it for me. I made a couple of small changes. I tried to start walking and, and even running a little bit. I was too big to do that. Um, uh, but, but I would just walk and pray. And I drank water instead of sodas. And, and the weight just came pouring off me. God was showing me that he could do what I couldn't do. Well, smoking is much the same thing. Don't focus on smoking. Focus on being with Jesus. And here's what I know. I can just tell by the heart of your letter or your, your question. Is if you're with Jesus, you won't smoke. 
because you know it'll displease him. It's not sin. He's not going to send you to hell for it. He's not going to be disappointed. He's not going to give up on you if you fall. But here's what you're going to do as you're with him. You're going to realize that when you're in his presence, you don't need to smoke. Instead of thinking, I won't smoke. I don't want to smoke. I don't want to smoke. You'll start thinking, Jesus, what do you want to do? And Anonymous, here's what my Jesus will do for you, just as he did for me. He'll change everything. All you have to do is say, Lord, I want to do this for you, that I can bring you glory. I don't want to do this so that I'll look good or do this so that I can brag about I overcame smoking. I want to do this so that I can talk to anybody about Jesus. I want to do this so that whatever you've called me to do or are going to call me to do, I can do it without having to worry about who saw me with a cigarette in my hand. Will it be difficult? I think it won't be as difficult as you think it is. And if you fail, if you mess up, just say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I spent time with me. I spent time with a cigarette instead of spending that time with you. And and what's going to happen to Adam? He'll change you. He'll find out that he will be faithful even when you're not. So I hope that helps. Those are really, really important. Let's go to Bernie now and talk with Renee on line one. Renee, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Pastor, um, you remember Renee Rocavera? I called you in 2012. Renee, you I remember your voice. Remember that I called you in 2012 with these kids that are giving church problems, and you said okay. just trust in the Lord, just trust mm-hmm. in Jesus. So then, Pastor um, Ron. And I love Paula so much. She waited for 13 <laughs> years. You know, Pastor Ron, that's um, Jesus and the 12 disciples. I just love his number. But anyways, um, I waited, and you said, oh, nee, just wait, be patient. And then I lost everything since then, and I keep getting in the Word. I keep believing in Jesus, and I keep believing in Him. I keep witnessing. And they said, oh, yeah, we can believe in you, Renee. You have the Holy Spirit. Well, when I ask you, um, Pastor Ron, why is Jesus a liar? He's supposed to be the truth. Why is no, he lie? He, he, Jesus why can't he lie? lie. What did he lie to you about, he Renee? Does. What did he lie to you about? Believe in me, trust in me, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean on our understanding. I said, Jesus, I trust in you. I have no understanding without you. Acknowledge the Lord in all your ways, and I will direct your path. And all he's done is taken from me. Well, Pastor Ron, they, they're mad at me, those two kids. Now they're mad at me because when Eric died, my fiance, he left me everything. And now I'm contending with land, this beautiful, almost acre, and um, Canyon Lake, I get half of. And I asked my lawyer, I said, um, can I just um, buy her out? No, it does not, Renee. It's not my mixture. Yeah, Renee, here, here, here's what I want you to do, Renee. I want you to, to hang up and listen on the radio because this is a really important thing that you need to hear from the Lord. Uh, First and foremost, what you're learning is that if you have Jesus, you don't need anything or anyone else. You see, he didn't take anything from you. Sinful people may have, maybe these are consequences of the bad choices you've made in your life, but what you have found, Renee, even in losing the riches of this world, you've found the glorious riches in Christ. Now, if you, what you expect is that I'm going to trust him and all that stuff is going to come back to me or I'm not going to suffer, that's just not the world. Like you, Renee, when I gave my heart to Jesus Christ, things got worse in a material sense. Things got worse, uh, worse from a worldly perspective. But all the while, Jesus was teaching me that his grace is sufficient. And because his grace is sufficient... I learned the greater truth. The greater truth is simply that he's all that I need. You need only to read 2 Corinthians, especially chapters 11 and 12, and see how rich Paul was when he had nothing. So if you trusted in Christ to get stuff, you missed the whole point. You trusted in Christ, Renee, to have your sins forgiven, to have an appointment in heaven to be sure that when this life is over with all of its difficulties, you will be with Jesus forever. 
That's why you trusted Christ. You didn't trust him to get rich. You didn't trust him to get your stuff back. You trusted him because he forgave your sins. And you need to be very careful about the accusations you make. You've been a believer for long enough to know that you don't accuse God of lying. What he wants you to do is get your eyes and your heart and your mind off of the things of this world and set them squarely on heaven where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And in his presence, you're going to find there is a fullness of joy. As long as your eyes, your mind, and your heart are set on things of this world, then we're always going to be disappointed. So, Renee, I'll be praying for you. I'm sorry that things aren't working out the way you wanted them to, but Jesus always tells the truth. Here is a question from our email inbox from Ed. He says, if God hates divorce, as Malachi 2.16, why would he allow people to divorce in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1? Ed, Jesus gives us the answer for that um, because of the hardness of our hearts. Uh, God hates divorce. He did then. He does now. And yet the truth is he also hates miserable marriages. He hates it when people won't be obedient, especially the people who claim to belong to him. So Jesus said, uh, in response, is it is it the, the question that the religious leaders ask, is it, is it okay for a man to divorce for any and all purposes? And Jesus said, um, um, why did Moses give us a certificate? Well, Moses did that because of the hardness of your hearts, was Jesus' response. It's not God's heart. It's not his preference. But the truth of the matter is there are a whole lot of people that don't really care what God wants. And so knowing that he hates divorce, knowing that he wants us to be obedient, why why do we still divorce? It's because our hearts are far from God and our hearts are hard. So that's Jesus' answer because of the hardness of our hearts. The other question that we always have to consider, Ed, when, when I get a question like this, is what would you have him do? God hates divorce. If a Christian knows God hates divorce, but if a Christian says, well, I don't care, I want to be happy, I'm going to divorce, what would you have God do? Kill him? No, God permitted divorce because people's hearts grew hard. And the reason that people divorce now is because their hearts are hard. And it breaks God's heart. So that's the answer to the question, Ed. It's pretty straightforward. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Oliver. Maybe Oliver, you're thinking about today's program. Why would you or anyone else want to be a Bible teacher if James says you'll be judged more strictly? Well, Oliver, the reason that that I want to be a Bible teacher is because that's what I'm called to do. Uh, I, I didn't have a choice in the matter. This is what God called me and made me. And the fact that that I will be judged more strictly, that doesn't mean for salvation, by the way, and I'm sure you know that, Oliver. It just means that we are more accountable to live what we teach. There's nothing quite as bad as a Bible teacher who teaches one thing, and yet his life represents something completely different. We teach you to be holy, and then we're out sinning in secret, or at least we think it's in secret, in our own lives. We, we tell you to forgive, but we're holding on to grudges. We tell you that drinking to excess or smoking dope is, is, is sin, and yet we do it in private. And we're going to stand before God. I tell every one of my pastors, and by the way, our women Bible teachers here at the church as well, that God's not going to let any of us teach theory, and we're all of us going to be tested. And when we have meetings or when problems come up, we always say, well, I'm going to talk to you like a Bible teacher because that's who you are. And a Bible teacher is more accountable to live what they counsel others to do, to, to, to live in their own personal lives the way, the, the things, they, the advice they give to others. There's no value if we just can tell other people how to live their lives, but we can't live our own. So the reason I want to be a Bible teacher is because that's what I'm called to do. The other thing that I want to point out here, Oliver, is that being a Bible teacher and a pastor... It's absolutely the greatest gig in the history of the world. I, I, I can't imagine doing anything else. Um, I love it. And, and uh, you know, that little tiny bit of, well, i got to be careful about what I teach and, and how I live. That doesn't even compare 
to the overwhelming joy and the passion that I am blessed with as a result of this calling. So, hope that answers your question. Here is a question from Patrick. What is your opinion of Chris Vallotton? Um, Patrick, I don't know a lot about Chris Vallotton. Um, um, I, I know some about him. Uh, and my opinion of him is that he is a false teacher. Now, for those of you in the radio audience, Chris Vallotton is the self-proclaimed prophet of Bethel Church. Um, between he and Bill Johnson, who is a self-proclaimed apostle of Bethel Church. They're responsible for more false teaching and the destruction of more lives than I can possibly imagine. One only needs to go to Bethel TV and watch some of the absolute nonsense and foolishness that's proclaimed from those pulpits. Uh, It it is... uh, uh, an embarrassment. It's a shame. What's even more shameful is that the camera will pan out and the the, the people are, are are filling the auditorium, and they they've got an audience. They 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 speak down to their people. They uh, teach false doctrine to the people. Chris Vallotton is no more a prophet than than um, Balaam was in the Old Testament, and he's causing a lot of damage. Bethel Ministries. There is simply nothing good coming out of Bethel Church, and I include the music in that, nothing at all. So, Patrick, that's as direct as I can be. Here is a question from Dennis. Pastor Ron, do you think pastors should name names of false teachers from the pulpit? Well, I guess that's a good time to have this question, Dennis, because I just did in response to a question. Um, But in the pulpit, here's what I found, and I've learned this, and I was very determined that uh, from the beginning I was going to be very forthright and when we were teaching about false teachers, I was going to give names, examples. But here's the dynamic that occurred. Uh, I found that if I started naming teachers, uh, I'll never forget an incident I had with Kenneth Copeland, who is a horrible wolf, a false teacher. And and because I named him by name, I, I watched a lady in my church. Her, her disposition got really sour, and and she was really obviously distressed. And at the end of the church, I said, so, so what, what happened to you in the middle of that? And she goes, you talked badly about another one of God's anointed, and I can't believe you would do that, and I'm never coming back. Now, what I learned over the years is that when people, even if they don't come forward and talk to me about it, if you name a name, what will happen is they will tune you out. And I don't want people to tune me out. I'm a communicator. So what I do is instead of naming the name of the person, I'll talk specifically about the teaching that's false. And many times they will keep listening. They'll, they'll recognize that that false teaching is from somebody that they've been listening to. I had another problem calling out Benny Hinn one day. And, and uh, you know, when, when I was able to talk to the person and talk about the teachings, they said, well, yeah, that makes sense, but you lose people over the course of the pulpit. So typically, just because I want people to listen, uh, I have sort of stopped naming names. Uh, I'm sure open to talking about those people if people come and ask me questions about them. But I want people to listen to the message. So when I'm and, and, and we don't do this. This is not a crusade that we're on here at Calvary Chapel. But when you open your scriptures, Jesus, every time he's asked about when the last days were going to happen, he'd start out, watch out for false teachers. So the um, the the, the we're not shying away from it, but uh, we want people to hear. And uh, often they have an affinity with a person, uh, and I'd much rather hear them or have them hear me talk about the, the false teaching, and then they can make the connection, especially the next time they hear that person. They'll make that connection. We've just found that to be better. So that's what I do on this radio program. Um, we have been asked questions about virtually everybody that you can think of, um, just like the, the question about Chris Vallotton a, a moment ago. Um, and we'll continue to answer those questions as clearly uh, as possible. Uh, but we have to tell the truth. And when there are people hurting the people of God, when there are wolves out there, they need to be identified. 
340-9585 for your live calls and questions. We've got a question here from Nathan. He said, how do you define gossip in church? Well, I define gossip the same way in church or out of church. Gossip is anything bad you say about somebody, anything said with the intent to harm, even if it's true. We who are Christians should not willfully speak ill of others, especially those that we're going to spend forever with in heaven. So gossip is anything that you say that's bad, even if it's true. Gossip is anything that you say to someone else rather than saying it directly to the person who would be the object of that gossip. Instead of going to that person in love and clearing the air. If somebody has a problem with you, go straighten it out. If you have a problem with somebody else, go confront them lovingly. But don't talk bad about them. Now, Nathan, a lot of times this idea of gossip in churches comes up when people will say, well, this person's a false teacher, as I just did in, a, in response to a question. Or if people think there's something going on in church, it's not right. Uh, and, and they justify it. Christian blogs are filled with gossip. And some of the things they're gossiping about are true things. But we who are Christians cannot be the people who are guilty of such conversation. Not should we, nor should we listen to such conversation. What we need to do is remember that our speeches always be seasoned with grace. And if we do that, then we're pleasing to the Lord. But when we start talking bad about people and it's our intention to destroy them or to ruin their reputation, uh, then we have entered sin and our sin is greater than the original sin. So I hope that helps. Let's go to Daniel calling from San Antonio on line one. Daniel, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Uh, I just want to ask you a question, just your your thoughts on... Uh, I was just wondering, you know, as a Christian throughout the years, I never really thought about this, but something I was thinking about the other day. Throughout the years, I said, I haven't really heard too many preachers that preach on the new covenant you know they'll say in general that we're in a new covenant but uh you know they, they I, I think sometimes christians or i know in my life i've gotten the impression that you know when they they talk about the old covenant and the new covenant you know the uh you know the, in the new covenant you know it, it doesn't say anything about us receiving you know some of the blessings that were promised to the the Israelites, you know, if they were to keep the covenant, which they were not able to, uh, but, you know, in the new covenant, it, it, it seems that, you know, the Lord is our, he says, you know, he will never leave us, he will never forsake us, you know, and uh, I, I think that uh, from my perspective, sometimes it seems that we can, or we don't realize that he is our inheritance, and, you know, it it's you know, it's having eternal life, having a relationship with God that is more, as I think Peter said, you know, we have a precious like faith, you know, that um, you can't, uh, it's, it's worth, there's nothing in the world that can compare to it as far as there's no monetary value. There's yeah. nothing that can compare to the, the knowledge and the relationship of having with your God, you know, and there's, no, nothing that we can obtain or receive from God as far as pertaining to this world that will come close to it, you know, as far as uh, yeah. material things. Uh, Thank you, Daniel. We're, we're running out of time, and I want to I want to address this. I think I know where you're going with it. We've got three minutes left, I think, now for this half of the program. Uh, let me take one issue with you. I, I think uh, certainly at our church, and I think most churches, uh, the New Covenant is preached a bunch. Now, here's the problem. We, we don't see so often the value in the New Covenant. Uh, every time we come to the table, Jesus said that, that, that we come to, to the table of communion. Um, uh, he, he says, take and eat uh, uh, the bread, uh, drink the cup. This is the cup of the new covenant written in my blood. So you're absolutely right in that, that the, the new covenant promises us just Jesus. 
just Jesus. Now, obviously in our Bibles there's all kinds of other covenants, but the reason that so many people reach back or dip back into the Old Testament for those promises is because God made these wonderful promises to Israel that they never inherited because they would never be obedient. And so what we want to do is we want those old promises, and, and especially false teachers or those who, who simply don't have a consistent systematic theology, uh, when I say a consistent um, uh, hermeneutic with, 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 uh, with, with the word, um, we're looking for worldly things. Uh, that's why uh, preachers like Joel Osteen can 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 thrive and, and prosper, uh, because people want more. And when we teach that Jesus is enough, um, people people just they're, they're they're just like when Jesus came the first time, Daniel. People are disappointed with him because he didn't make me rich, or he didn't take away my problems, or he didn't fix my marriage, or he, he didn't heal me. And we forget that he healed us of the one fatal disease, the disease of sin. We forget that he's promised us riches beyond anything that we can ask or imagine according to Ephesians chapter 3. And so as long as our eyes and our hearts and our minds are set on the things of this world, we're always going to be disappointed. And a lot of times it just proves where our heart is. But you're absolutely right when we realize that the new covenant is a promise of being with him, Christ in us, the hope of glory, Paul says. And when we get to that place... Then and only then do we understand what it's like. I love, Daniel, that the Apostle Paul said, I've learned the secret of being content in every circumstance. That's because he fully embraced this glorious new covenant. He understood that it was better to be with Jesus, by far, because a time was coming when he would be with Jesus in person. Where's your heart and your mind and your eyes? If they're on things above, you're fine. If not, you're always going to be disappointed. Hope that's what you meant, Daniel. Thanks a lot. Hey, thanks for listening this week. You've been listening to the Word to Stand On for Life. Go to church this weekend. Be available to be used by the Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll see you on Monday on AM 630, The Word. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.